So I'm just going to leave them there, but they look like there are two Martians sticking out. <laughs> My name is Cindy. I'm a very grateful member of Al-Anon. Hi. Uh, I'd like to thank the committee for inviting me here. It's always a privilege to uh, be asked to come and to share my story with you. And uh, the re friends that um, she was referring to are, um, you know, some really sick Al-Anons. There's some people I sponsor, so I can say that. <laughs> but they've uh, they've driven a long way just so they could uh, be here and and share in a workshop this morning that was on sponsorship and you know that's just something that is just a very um, a passion of mine is sponsorship because I believe that I would never have been able to find what I found in the Al-Anon program without a sponsor and I know that I tried by coming to meetings for five and a half years uh, tried it without a sponsor and I can uh, promise you that uh, if you don't have a sponsor and you feel empty inside and you're just not quite getting it uh, try that and you might like it it's uh, certainly worked for me um, it's wonderful to be here in Rock Springs I have to tell you you know there's always surprises every place you go and we went down and had breakfast this morning and one of the gals that was sitting next to me picked up the paper and we were looking at it and we were all a little nervous about this workshop anyway in the morning and uh, whining just a little bit, you know, about it. I don't know if I can do this. They were. I wasn't. <laughs> Nonetheless, she picks up the paper and she looks at it and it says Sunday, November 9th. And she says, oh, my God, we did great. It's over. Now we can go home. <laughs> I don't know what you guys do, but you you appear to have your your days in advance here. <laughs> it, it was the comics. Do you put the, like, the next... Sundays in the Saturday's paper, we couldn't we couldn't figure that out. That that's quite that's interesting the way to do it here. But uh, anyway, uh, it's just been a great time since I've been here, and I've enjoyed the warmth and the fellowship. You know, from the very first uh, that I showed up here, I want to thank my uh, hostess Pam. Uh, she's just such a busy little bee that uh, nobody seems to know where she's at right now. So we had a fill-in who uh, introduced me. But, uh, you know, she's a, obviously a very active member of Al-Anon, and uh, she has my respect because um, that's really important to me. It's important to me to see people that are busy and carrying on the message. Uh, it's real important to me to see people in here who have been in here longer than I am and they keep coming back. I talked to another lady who said she had been coming back for 22 years, and, you know, something in my heart just says yes because I need you. You know, this, is, uh, this program has never been one I could figure out. It uh, has taken somebody who has gone ahead of me and had the experience of working the 12 steps and passing that on to me. And um, I'm real grateful for people who are committed to this way of life. Because you see, for a person like me, I don't even like to think where I would be. Um, I listen sometimes to the stories of alcoholics. And a lot of them talk about being in jail. And <laughs> I'm in Al-Anon, but I was in jail. And the reason that I was in jail is because they said that I had uh, just a little bit of arrogance. And I can't imagine why they would say something like that. Um, my mother had taken me to the uh, probation officer up at the courthouse because I had run away from home again. And um, she just really didn't know what to do with me. She was a single parent. She had four children. And, uh, you know, she just really was uh, frustrated with me because... I was doing what uh, we do in alcoholism. I was self-will run riot. I wanted to find a him. I was only 12 years old. And, uh, you know, I was already looking for a way out of that house. I was looking for someone whom I could set up housekeeping with and make, make a home the way maybe I thought it should be because, uh, you know, I wasn't very happy in the home I came from. I, I came from an alcoholic home. And, uh, you know, I don't think I'm any worse off than anybody else. All I can tell you is, is that it did, it just had, you know, uh, a bearing on who and what I am. And so, um, anyway, we were sitting in this courthouse talking to this nice little grandmotherly type woman. That's what she said. She's just a sweet little old grandmother. And she asked me a question. I don't even remember what it was, but I got real mouthy. And I said, you know something? You're so screwed up, you don't know which ends up. And here this little 12-year-old is popping off this stuff, and she just thought, well, I don't have to deal with this. And so I found out at that moment that there was a power greater than me. And, uh, you know, she uh, sent me upstairs to be locked up. And, you know, I really probably wasn't there any longer than possibly three days. It felt like three years. I just know that as I sat up there and uh, felt that powerlessness, you know, it's, this, it's really true, the stories that you hear. 
this, what do you call them, matrons or whatever they are, the guard that comes in and puts your food in the door, this woman was like 300 pounds. I mean, she was a big, big woman. And she was very, very authoritative. And she put my food in the uh, door. She came back probably about a half hour later to collect the tray. I hadn't touched it. She pulled open the door, took the tray, threw it down the toilet, threw a mop at me and says, from now on, you either eat this food or throw it in the toilet and get this cell mopped up. And boy, it's like, you know, I want to go back home. All of a sudden, it didn't look so bad. And uh, so that was my very first experience with, um, you know, realizing that if my, my mother just was unable to, like I said, she couldn't deal with me, she couldn't stop me. I was just consistent. I was constantly going out, running off, doing what I wanted to do, not giving a thought for a moment how it must be on her end. And, uh, you know, she just did the very best that she can or could, but uh, I was doomed. I was doomed to find an alcoholic because um, my stepdad was an alcoholic, and, uh, I, you know, I have come to find out that those of us who end up uh, in alcoholic homes, it's the only thing we know, and... I, I don't know anybody, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but I don't know anybody who comes from an alcoholic home that moved into a normal relationship. You know, I mean, if you, if you know someone, great, but I don't think it's very common. And so the, what I did was, is right off the bat, I found myself an alcoholic. And I have to tell you, I love alcoholics. I mean, there is no one more exciting if you want to go someplace, find yourself one. And I found myself in places I never knew I could go. I loved it. I loved the excitement. I loved going into those um, places where I looked older for my age, and so I would get to go into the bars. And I always hung out with the older kids and the older men. You know, it's very typical, I think, of those of us who grow up in alcoholism. We never have that childhood. We just kind of go from, from adult to adult. And, and that's what I did because, as I said, my mom was... Uh, single, had uh, these four young kids, and um, I sort of became, I was the oldest, so I sort of became a mother right away and uh, took on that role. And so um, when I began to uh, go out and look for him, there they are. You know, I ran off, went to a dance. I was not allowed to go. I was only 12. And there's nothing normal about me. I sometimes think, well, my story is really not that big of a deal. But, you know, the more I tell it, which is good for me, there's just nothing normal about me. I went to this dance. Here's this band playing. And uh, I seen this guy, and immediately my eyes locked with his. He had these gorgeous blue eyes, long hair, beard, uh, wire room glasses. It was in the 60s. He looked like John Lennon, you know. And at that time, it's like that was pretty cool. And so this is what I did. For the next three hours, I proceeded to stand in that very spot, I did not move, and I locked a gaze with him. Our eyes met, and I never took my eyes off of him. People around me are dancing every place, and I stood there solidly for three hours just staring at him. You know, and that is not normal. I didn't know that. I mean, you know, what I didn't know is I was an Alan, pre-Alanon getting ready to go on a mission. And look out. When a pre-Alanon is ready to go on a mission, you're in trouble. If you're an alcoholic, you're in trouble because we do not give up. And I did not give up. I'm married to that man still today, and it's been um, 20, 27 and a half years. So um, i got to tell you that that's thanks to you because by the time I got to this program and he got to Alcoholics Anonymous, we hated each other. We uh, were not speaking. Our relationship was so damaged that I would have told you there was no possible way that it could have been restored. No possible way. And we, uh, you know, we did all the things. We, um, I have to tell you, I always have to tell this because, again, it tells how I am not normal. Um, I told this man, I was 12 years old, I was going to be 13 in August. He was uh, 19, and I told him that I was 17, going to be 18 in August. Well, he... Believe me, and, and I looked it. I looked the part. Like I said, I, uh, I dressed and acted older than I really was. And when you hang out with an older crowd, you just, you know, you know how to fit in. And so I was doing the deal, and, and I found my man, and, and I, I hooked him just like I wanted him. And then I thought, well, I probably need to tell him the truth because, you know, he wasn't allowed to call my house. I wasn't, he wasn't allowed to pick me up because, remember, I'm 12. I don't get to go out on dates. And yet I found plenty of, 
plenty of nights to be able to uh, to be with him. But um, I told him how old I really was after probably a few, I don't know, maybe it was two months or so. He didn't believe me. He thought I was lying. I said, well, you can't ask my mother. And so I brought him home with me, and I said, ask her. And, of course, she says, well, yes, yeah, she's only 12. Who are you? <laughs> and uh, anyway, he just looked shell-shocked, and he disappeared. Well, he was gone for, I bet, not even a week. And here he showed up again. And so our uh, relationship just kind of went from there. You know, it's one of them deals with an alcoholic says that, um, talks about alcohol and he says he can't live with it and he can't live without it. Our relationship was like that. We couldn't live with each other and we couldn't live without each other. And it started that way from the very beginning. We fought, we made up. You know, it was just, it was exciting. It was way up and it was way down and way up and way down. And then on our um, wedding night, I, you know, most people don't cry on their wedding night out of sadness. But, uh, you know, here I am. And why? Why was it? Because we had a lovely wedding. We went to dinner and had this great dinner. And as luck would have it, his family seemed to have chose the same restaurant. We tried to slip away afterwards and get away from everybody. But his family chose the same restaurant. They seen us from afar. And they did what they thought was a very normal thing. They sent over a bottle of champagne. How nice. Well, that led one bottle to another. We get uh, to um, the place that we were staying that night, and, of course, we had to gather up a whole bunch more bottles. And, you know, and the same, you know what it's like. The same thing happened over and over. For me, I always was in competition with the bottle. I just, you know, I felt so lonely. I felt so um, like I was unimportant, and that was more important than me. And I just, I spent my life trying to get him away from the alcohol. I had no idea what alcoholism was. I had no idea that I was fighting a battle that I had no power to fight. I did not know that there were people like you out there every place. I thought I was all alone in fighting this thing. And it just, you know, that the uh, feelings that an alcoholic talks about going through, those very feelings I identify with. Because, you see, I felt that loneliness that can't compare to anything. You cannot describe it unless you've been there. And the language of the heart is what we have with each other. You know, I can say some things, but it's your identification because you have been there. And that's what bonds me with you because I know that you understand. And before I came to this fellowship, I didn't think anybody understood. I could see it in their faces that they did not understand. And I had a lot of experiences that were very, very painful until I finally learned you just don't talk to people about it. You don't explain it to them because they don't understand it. And they kept telling me to do things that I couldn't do. They kept saying, well, why don't you leave him? <laughs> well, excuse me, that's not an option. And, uh, you know, I love it because I sit in meetings today and, and I listen to the alcoholics who say, I don't understand that Ellen on of mine, why she never left. And, you know, we, um, at least me and the people that I sponsor, it's recommended that you go to open AA meetings to understand more about the disease of alcoholism. And we have sort of an open meeting that we go over the big book, and it's a, we call it a family meeting. So Al-Anon's and AAs both share. And the alcoholics are learning a little bit more about the strangeness of our disease because they can't get away from us any more than we can get away from them. And so it's really nice to be able to have a place where we can learn about each other and share the common solution, which is our program of recovery. Uh, some just great, wonderful things has happened in my life and in the lives of the uh, many people that have uh, crossed my path that, you know, makes me stand up here today with the, the utmost of confidence in our program and knowing that no happiness is too difficult to lessen. I mean, there's nothing we cannot overcome. And um, anyway, we, uh, we went on about this marriage. You know, it was just as rocky as from the uh, night it started, and um, it got worse. And I'm, I've heard this before, and, 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 you know, it's very typical. I thought maybe perhaps if he had a child. You know how that goes? If he had a baby, then he would have everything he needed. He's got a wife. He's got a child. He can be happy. And uh, so I brought this up. And, of course, his response was not what I expected. I thought he would be joyful like I was. And instead, it was kind of like, I don't think I want that responsibility. Let's wait a while. And, of course, I was um, not very happy with that. So I thought, well, you know, I don't really need your permission. And so <laughs> I didn't. We did. <laughs> and, uh, and our baby daughter was born. Um, we, we did 
you know, I said I met him at 12 years old. We married at 16, and then uh, we. Uh, one thing that I did do is I accepted uh, a condition of our children being born, and that was that uh, I was a sophomore in high school. And he said, "I want when we get married, I want to wait five years." And so I have to tell you, being the Al-Anon that I am, when five years came up, it was time. And so that's where I just knew. I mean, gee whiz, you know, you already you said. You said five years. It's been five years. We're going to do this thing. And so that's what we did. And um, my daughter was born, and, you know, again, more anguish, more pain. I wanted someone to share the joy with. And, of course, the um, we had a, we just, you know, I went every place with him. I went to the bars. I had, you know, I just, wherever he went, I went. I did the things that he did because I wanted to be with him. He um, flew a helicopter. And I went through the um, the ground school. I went through the um, the flight instruction. I and I did everything but get my license because I hadn't done the auto rotations. And we had uh, at that time we had to give up our helicopter because our business had um, gone kind of broke. And uh, you know I did things like I said that I would never have done without having an alcoholic in my life. I mean the challenge that they present. It's just I like I said I found myself up in the air in this helicopter terrified because I hadn't done the auto rotations and he decided that you know the helicopter's going back next week you need to solo so he took me out in this field and he got out and he says take it up and so one one day I'm sitting here and all of a sudden I'm looking down and I only meant to go off the ground maybe this high and it's like I kept raising it was in slow motion it kept going higher and higher and pretty quick he's like about this small I'm going, oh, my God, how do I get this thing down? An alcoholic got me up there and put me in that position. <laughs> you know, one more job, I listened. I knew I wasn't ready for something like that. But, you know, to this day, I, wow, what an experience. I would have missed that had it not been for someone who was pushing me and urging me on to experience, you know, life. I mean, good gosh, there's so much out there that, uh, you know, you have to take a risk. You have to, you have, to have some kind of... Um, a willingness to move beyond that comfort zone. And an alcoholic was really a good pusher for me. And, and I was uh, just the right personality to be pushed. And so we, we really actually fit quite well together. But um, anyway, um, for several years, uh, you know, we, we did the deal. And then uh, when my daughter was born and, and um, I had that baby, he was in the delivery room with me, which was absolutely wonderful. That, I, you know, was my dream. And I thought, gee was now we're going to share this precious moment. But the first thing he said when they took me back to my room, when I was really wanting to just sit there and just sit with him, he said, you know, before I came here, I was playing cards. And I told the guys I'd be back soon. Do you mind if I leave? <laughs> and it's like one more time, that, that uh, feeling of something else is more important than me. And I just, you know, I was always in competition with this, uh, with this, al- this thing called alcoholism. And so um, our life uh, got to a point where I, I really literally began to hate him. Uh, I began to blame him for everything. We were so, I, I was so young when I got married, I finally decided, you know, I really made a poor choice. I was too young at that time. How could I possibly know the man that was right for me? But now that I've been through some things, I know what I want, and so I got this thing in my head, there's got to be someone else out there. And a person like me does not just go out, leave one, and then go get another. I have to get another first, and then I leave this one over here. That I found out that, um, that I was capable of creating a great deal of pain in another human being's life. You know, um, my husband uh, was always... There, no matter what he did when he drank, he was always kind to me. He um, loved me tremendously, and he never was hesitant in showing that. He said it a lot. He was very affectionate with me, and uh, you know, but it wasn't enough because I didn't understand that that was the best that he could do. But I, um, I seen that man's eyes go from gentle to to very, very um, hateful. I seen his his whole body language go from a very easygoing man to someone who is just in a great deal of pain. And uh, what I did was, is I um, ended up looking around. As I said, we went to bars a lot. And boy, you go to those bars and those places, 
you know what goes on there. And everybody, listen to the, the Western songs that they sing, you know. Everybody's cheating and looking for something and, and uh, unhappy. And, and, you know, that was the environment. And so, and when you're looking for something, you know, believe me, there's other, there were guys that knew that I was unhappy. And uh, so that wasn't, um, wasn't too long before I found myself in a position that I was, uh, you know, taking actions that I would have told you earlier were totally impossible because I felt like I was a, a person who had good morals. And I felt like I was a person who could never, ever, ever be unfaithful to her husband. And I will tell you that the disease of alcoholism took me places, made me into somebody that I did not want to be. And uh, I watched um, this man hurt tremendously from something that I did. And how I responded to that was not, I am so sorry. I will never forget, he was hurting so bad, and, and the question of why, you know, and I just looked at him and I said, you know something, uh, I am just not sorry for this. Um, this is this is your fault. And I, I just, you know, that's the way I felt. I could not take responsibility for my own actions at that time. That was, that was I did not know that I was going to feel so guilty. And so what I look back in, I believe that God just takes everything and uses it to the good. And, you know, looking back on that situation, what that actually did was it accelerated his alcoholism and it just got us to you quicker. That's all. Um, he drank from that point on. He drank every day as hard as he could, as much as he could. Um, he started packing guns because he was planning on uh, going and uh, hopping on a plane and finding this guy and he was going to kill him and you know he had all these thoughts and then then he shares this in his story and that's how I knew uh, he went through times where he began to think of how he was going to kill me and then the sad part is, is he knew that if he killed me we had two children at that time and they could not uh, bear knowing that their dad killed their mom so then he was going to take them out too and you know this is the kind of thinking that happens in our disease and sometimes we take for granted I think being here being able to just show up in a meeting and, and coming to a weekend like this but there's a lot of people out there right now that are still living in this stuff and it's real and it's everyday stuff you know um, I, I talk about the not being normal things but they feel so normal there was a time when uh, he was uh, sleeping in on Sunday, like always, sleeping it off. You know, Sunday mornings were good for that. And uh, I was so angry again. Of course, by that time, I was always filled with anger. There was never a time that I wasn't angry. <clears throat> and I went outside, and there was these mud swallows that build nests around your windows. And, oh, they're just so messy. And so I took a broom out there, and I started trying to knock the nest down. And, you know, before I knew it, I was just beating that broom against this window. And all of a sudden... I turned and looked up, and here he was standing there, and he had a gun in his hand. And a normal person would have had a very healthy fear had they seen the gun and the look in his eye. And all I did was took a step back, I put my hands on my hips, and I said, Well, are you going to shoot or what? I mean, no wonder this poor man was sick. <laughs> you know, no wonder he had to drink. <laughs> Married to a person like me. Uh, I used to hear that and think, well, but uh, the longer I'm here, the more I understand that I really did contribute to the disease of alcoholism. My husband did not make me sick. I took who and what I was into that marriage, and all that happened was is that the disease progressed. But I was not a healthy person when I connected up with him. And I think that's important for alcoholics to know because I've seen some of them uh, carry so much guilt over what they've done to their families. But you see, we don't have to stay. We do make a choice. And the reason we make a choice is because we're sick too. And I'm real grateful for the people in this fellowship who understands that this is a family illness. And, um, you know, my husband went to a group that um, believed in also addressing the family. And uh, he was terrified. Um, when he went into his first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, he, uh, for two weeks, I did not know. I had no idea that anything was different in his life because, you see, he was always gone. At that point, towards the end, we just didn't, we, we crossed paths. There were no words spoken between us. We lived about 30 miles out of town. And many times, uh, I would be going into town and I would see him coming back from town. And maybe he'd been gone for a couple of days. And it didn't matter. You know, it just didn't matter. There was nothing going on in our home 
that was good. There was no laughter. There was no communication. There was no, you know, neither one of us um, even cared about each other anymore. And I think there's something far worse than hatred, and that is that indifference. And that's what we had for each other. And uh, my poor children, you know, you sometimes think that uh, alcoholism does not affect the children because, oh, they're too young. Well, let me tell you, um, I had a daughter at the time that was um, three years old, and uh, she, actually, she was six, and my son was three. And uh, my daughter would come home from school. She would get off the bus, come running into the house, and she would come home, and the first place that she went is she went to my, my dresser drawer, and she pulled open the drawer to see if my clothes were there. Because, you see, it was a common occurrence for me to move in and move out and move in and move out. And so she never knew if her mother was there or not. And the only way she could tell is if the clothing was still there. And my one-year-old, um, he was having a strange thing go on, and that is he, he was a type of child that never, one of those hidden, forgotten children that, uh, you know, he never, you never knew he was around. He was just very quiet. He didn't even speak till he was three years old. I even had, to the do- had him to the doctor, and I thought, my gosh, you know, what's wrong with this child? He should be talking by now. And... Um, I mean, the doctor said, well, he seems to understand things, so it must be just a choice. He doesn't, he doesn't want to talk. He'll come out of it, which he did. But uh, anyway, he would um, start to cry for whatever reason. Maybe he fell down or, or maybe somebody tried to take something away from him, whatever. He would start to cry. Whenever he started to cry, he would hold his breath, turn purple, fall down, and pass out. And, of course, at first I treated this as being a temper tantrum and, you know, addressed it the best way I knew how, and that was is slap him and spank him and scream at him and tell him, to, you know, not to do that. Finally, I got concerned because this kept going on and on, and like I said, it wasn't just when he was upset. It could be when he was hurt and just crying for no reason other than the pain, and so I took him in, and they ran an EKG on him, and they said, well, he's borderline epileptic, and, um, you know, this is something that's causing these seizures. And I have to tell you that shortly after... Uh, we came into the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous and Al-Anon that never occurred again. And so I really am a firm believer in that it doesn't matter how young our children are. They know, they hurt, they are affected by alcoholism. And, uh, you know, I was so self-obsessed into my own problems that I was unable to even see that my children were suffering from this. And I had uh, in-laws who would try to tell me that, uh, you know, your kids are really, really emotionally uh, unbalanced here. Do you know that they, they cry uh, a lot and they're, you know, they're just, um, they're so afraid that you're not ever going to be home? When they... And I got so angry. How dare, how dare she interfere? How dare my mother-in-law interfere in our marriage? You know, and she was just trying to help. Uh, all of those people who try, you know, just like the alcoholic, had all those well-meaning friends and, and relatives who wanted to help. The same thing happened for me. There were people who cared about me. There were people who didn't want to see the, uh, the family um, destroyed by alcoholism, and they tried to help. And I pushed them back, and I was angry. And I was just, by the time I got to you, I was a very unpleasant person. And, you know, nobody but you could have loved me. I came into um, this fellowship in uh, January of 1983. I did not come here because I wanted help. Um, a couple weeks earlier, my husband had gone to Alcoholics Anonymous, as I said, and, and uh, he had been working with a sponsor for a couple weeks there, and his sponsor encouraged him to invite his wife to an open AA meeting. And uh, he did that. He was so, I remember his, you know, he was so afraid of asking me to join him. Um, I did not realize where our relationship had gotten to. I, I was so unapproachable. And uh, he invited me because his sponsor asked him to invite me. And so um, I don't even know why I went. Again, you know, um, I liked what um, Ann said last night. She said that she did not choose to quit drinking, but she just couldn't drink anymore, and that she found that as evidence of a loving God in her life that did for her what she could not do for herself. You see, God did for me what I could not do for myself. He brought me and put me in the arms of a fellowship who would be able to love me until I was able to love you. 
And, uh, you know, the first uh, AA meeting I went to, open AA meeting, I went and, oh, I must have been a sight. I mean, I wouldn't look at anybody. I was better than, and I just knew that I was going to walk into a room full of big red noses. We, we all have our ideas of what an alcoholic is. And that's, you know, that was the crazy thing that I pictured was these people with these big red noses. And uh, instead I found people there that looked like normal, everyday, average people. Some of the, oh my goodness, the, the little grandmothers that were there. I mean, I looked at them and I thought, well, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. You're obviously not an alcoholic. I was so ignorant of alcoholism. I did not understand anything about it. I just had this, this idea of what an alcoholic was, and it was shameful, it was disgusting, and it was certainly not in our home. And um, I uh, sat in that meeting. I, didn't re- I, I did not talk to anybody because I didn't know how to talk to people. I never knew how to talk to people. That's why I had an alcoholic in my life. I could hang on to his shirt tail and just kind of follow him where he went and, you know, just stay back in the shadow. And he did, he did all the talking and socializing and, and with his little social lubricant, it worked wonderful. Uh, I, I tell you what, I, I just thought flashed my mind. The um, When I say social lubricant, I remember a time that we were off at a uh, dance and it was a thing put together that these all these bankers had invited us to. You know, one of those business deals where you really kind of need to behave yourself because, you know, it's business. And um, I went, and uh, I knew it was going to be a disaster, because it always was. My husband, just when he started drinking, it never quit until trouble happened. And so, um, and it wasn't the kind of trouble that he would beat people up, violent. It was just the kind of trouble like falling asleep in your banker's lap, you know. Um, you know, this particular night, he happened to take one of the banker's wives out and take her for a spin across the dance floor. And when he went to twirl her... He twirled her all right. She went clear across, flying uh, across the room, hit the wall, splattened out on the floor. And I was so humiliated. And I looked at this, this man who was standing next to me, who was a good friend of ours, and I said, look at him. Isn't that disgusting? And he looked at me and he says, well, I don't know, look like he's having a good time to me. <laughs> well, of course, he liked to drink too. And so... You know, those, I mean, there are so many things that there's no way that I could, you know, I, you know those things that pile up one thing on top of another on top of another, and, and before you know it, you're just dead inside. You're just literally dead inside because everything is so out of control, and nothing is manageable, and it's just not the way you expected it to be. You know, I was going to, gosh, I was going to find me a, a respectable man who was going to have a respectable job, who was going to come home at 5 o'clock at night, and help me bathe the kids, and then we were going to sit and watch TV together and go off to bed at a decent hour. You know, that has never happened a day in our lives, not in or out of the program. The difference is, is today, I love it. I love being married to an alcoholic, a recovering alcoholic. It is fantastic. Life is still exciting. My husband still comes home every other day and says he's got a new get-rich thing. You know, I mean... Alcoholics are visionaries. They've always got something, two or three somethings on the stove, you know, just just waiting to, to rotate them around. And when one falls through, they pick up another. And, you know, they're just, he just amazes me. I'm a, such a different type of person. It's like i got to see it to believe it. And so he, he has finally learned to laugh at me because, you know, he comes and tells me a new deal. And he, know, he says, I know you're not going to get excited about this. <laughs> and, he, you know, it's like it's a joke in our home because uh, sometimes people say, well, what does your husband do? And I'll go through all the things that he did, all the things that he's doing now, and all the things that he plans on doing in the future. <laughs> you know, and it's just, oh, man, I tell you what, people look at you like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, he's, he is uh, definitely... Um, an alcoholic and I love it I love being with him I, I love watching what the program of Alcoholics Anonymous has done to this man we, um, we had a long rocky road and uh, as I said when I got here I hated him no it was beyond that I, I didn't care about him and he didn't care about me and due to a sponsor who told him he said how are you doing in your relationship and he said we're getting a divorce and he said who's getting the divorce you or him And he said, well, I am. And he said, no, you're not. You're going to stop that right now. 
And he said, you know something? You don't know anything about relationships. So therefore, we're going to practice a little bit. And she's handy, so we're going to practice on her. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I didn't care whether he came or went. The fact is, I just kind of waiting around. I just figured, you know, sooner or later he would do the leaving anyway. And I was just kind of waiting for it to happen. Because um, it, right there towards the end, something happened inside of me. As I said, I was completely dead. And I sort of was just resigned to the fact that our life was never going to change. And I somehow where, you know, I think I had just given up the idea that there was anything I could do to make it different. And that was a surrender that I did not know was a surrender, but it was something that God did for me that I could not do for myself. And wouldn't you know it, that the timing, God's timing was so perfect because by the time I reached that point, you people were already prepared to be uh, in my front door. I mean, everything, the stage was, the stage was set, God had a plan, and God continued to unfold that plan. And today, that's the hope that I have to share. Today, the hope that I have to share is, is that alcoholism, yes, is very devastating. Uh, it's, it just literally destroys families. It rips them apart. It rips them apart so bad that no human power can put them back together. And my story here today is to tell you that this man, whom uh, would not speak to me and I would not speak to him, for a whole year... While his, in his first year of sobriety, we barely spoke to each other. And what I got to do is I got to watch as the program of Alcoholics Anonymous began to go to work on him. And his sponsor, as I said, began to have him take actions. And he had him um, tell me things like he loved me and then back it up with actions like emptying the garbage. Now, what woman is not going to like a sponsor like that? I thought he was the greatest man. You know, and, and every once in a while I got this idea that, well, now, wait a minute. You know, he's having a little bit too much power over this guy. That's my job. But uh, for the most part, for the most part, I think I, I really love this guy because it's like John listened to him, and he never listened to me. And I did not understand that there is a magic when one alcoholic works to, with another until I began as, as an Al-Anon member working with another Al-Anon member. I began to understand what that was all about and the effects that, uh, you know, that we can have with each other. But that first year was pretty bad. Um, I am here to tell you that just because an alcoholic quits drinking does not mean that all the problems go away. And I'm here to tell you that our home got worse the first year in sobriety. It was not because of him. It was because of me. It was because I had been so used to for so long, blaming and complaining and nagging and, and getting my, you know, I mean, I loved, I did not realize how much I loved the, um, the alcoholism for the things that it, it did get me. Whenever he was bad, I would let him know how bad he was. And I just got great joy in going into detail because he could never remember what he did. Well, let me tell you, that set me up. I'm happy. I get to, and don't you think I embellished on what went on? So that's another thing, you alcoholics. Uh, don't believe everything that we tell you because there, it probably is a little dramatic. And uh, mine certainly was. But boy, that was a good way to get a new uh, living room full of furniture. Uh, it was a good way to get some new diamonds on my fingers. You know, it just, gosh, I love that manipulation. And I did not realize how much until I couldn't do it anymore. And it became so frustrating, and I, um, I hated I got to a point that I hated Alcoholics Anonymous. They, you know, I began to begin uh, to become resentful towards you. Now, this, again, is an indication of my disease, my sickness. Here you took him, and you began to save his life, and I began to hate you for it. And that was the thing that I would have told you earlier was the one thing that I wanted more than anything. And then I get it, and it's not what I wanted. And these are the kinds of things, you know, that has helped, led me to believe that I, too, am affected by a disease that has made me sick. And I need to do something in my life in order to recover from the effects of alcoholism. Um, let's see where we're at here. Okay. Um, so anyway, as I said that first year, uh, I did something that I too like to share from the podium because I think it's so important for people to know, uh, for family members. And that is that um, I began to tell him that he wasn't that bad. I began to tell him that, um, you know, yeah, he drank a little bit, but that really wasn't the issue. And now our life was so much better. So don't you think that maybe you wouldn't need to go to all those meetings? Don't you think maybe you could stay home and be a father to these children and a husband to this wife? 
And uh, thank God again, he had a wonderful sponsor who understood the nature of the illness. And he said to him, your wife is very, very sick. Don't tell her that, but she is very, very sick. And of course, you all know what he did. (laughs) But, uh, you know, he understood the family. And he told him that uh, no matter what, you go out the door and you go to your meeting. And for whatever reason, he did just that. And uh, I went to work as hard as I could trying to become, you know, more important. Again, it used to be I was trying, I was in competition against the alcohol. Now I'm in competition against AA. You know, nothing wrong with me. But I, uh, I really felt, I really believed in, in what I was saying. And, uh, you know, I, I'm so grateful for the um, members of Alcoholics Anonymous who understand and accept and love the family also. We have a very special relationship in Billings, Montana, between the Alcoholics Anonymous people and the Al-Anon people. We are very supportive of each other. We work very closely together. Uh, We really treasure our relationship. And we realize that in our disease, we hurt each other a great deal. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to make amends to each other by recovering together. And it it certainly uh, is true that we need to have our own program we need to work the steps ourselves in our individual lives. But the, uh, the fellowship shares a very, very special relationship. And, you know, we, um, we treasure that a great deal. And, and I used to think it was that way every place. And I've gotten to go around the country just a little bit, you know, a few places here and there. And what I'm finding out is, is that is not the common. That is not what I find in many, many places. And it's, it's really sad because, uh, you know, um, we have one program. We really have one program, and that's the 12 steps. And you and Alcoholics Anonymous know how to work the 12 steps. You took those steps. You worked them, put them into uh, your daily lives. And then the best amends that you have ever made to us is something that our Arbutus, uh, a very special lady, says. The best amends that you and Alcoholics Anonymous have ever done for Al-Anon is you let us use your 12 steps. You gave us your 12 steps. And um, it has... Uh, really changed the um, the family in you know the the family life as I used to know it is uh, it's a whole different deal today and I also would like to mention the program of Alateen because um, Alateen is something that we also have tried to um, Alateen is really hard because it's it's hard to get a commitment out of people to support our kids and I do not understand that our kids hurt just as bad as we do it's real important for those kids. Those kids lived in a sick home. And they too, as I, you know, my experience is, is they're affected by this disease. No matter how long you're in it, uh, you know, it's such a, a powerful disease and it, it, it leaves its effects. And so uh, we've really tried to include a program of Alateen as part of our recovery program and work together with those Alateens. Um, my son is a, a member of Alateen. And my daughter was a member of Alateen before she joined Alcoholics Anonymous. And so, you see, you have loved my family. You have done for my family what I cannot do for them. And if you take any piece out of that, if you took the Alateen out or took the Alanon out, I don't like to think where I would be. I know for a fact that I would not be in a room like this today enjoying the blessings of sitting here with people like you. I loved what happened when I came uh, in and, and seen you all hugging one another some of you um, apparently hadn't seen each other for a while and you were greeting one another. And, you know, and I just looked at that and I sat in the meeting Friday night and I looked around the room and I listened to Anne as she was sharing and I just was overwhelmed with the miracle of that we're here and not out there doing what we used to do. And you know, we don't look the same. That's the beauty of this. It, it's amazing. I like what it says even in the big book. You know, um, where Bill said that he did not recognize Ebby. He said there was something, it was the same man, but there was something about him in his eyes, he said, that I never would have recognized. And he said he really was a different person. Well, that's what has happened to us. And that is a miracle. And that certainly isn't something I can do alone. I I owe you um, a great deal of gratitude because you have done this for me. And in order to repay that, I try to do this for you and your family. You know, that's one of the um, things, too, that I uh, discovered is that I can't help my kids, but you can. And you can't help your kids, but I can help your kids. And so we do that for each other. The um, 
the fellowship is, is, a, is a great place to be, but of course eventually um, the fellowship is not enough. And I, I believe that's what I was involved in for the first five years of Al-Anon is the fellowship and enjoying the warmth and the, the love and the hugs and the, you know, the, just the acceptance and you just always made me feel so good. But there came a point in time where I really needed to take some, some actions to change uh, my own behavior and my own attitudes. And that's when the Al-Anon program really began to kick in for me. I enjoyed the open meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't believe I ever could have been a very good member of Al-Anon until I understood the disease a little bit more. I needed to understand um, that it had nothing to do with choice. One of the things that has helped me a great deal, you see, I, we were talking at lunch, and when I drink, I love it because I lose all my inhibitions. I become, you know, I, I like the way it makes me feel. That in itself is kind of scary when you listen to other alcoholics talk. But one thing that I know is I don't have the allergy to alcohol. Thank you for sharing your big book with me because you have given me a description of an alcoholic. You have helped me to understand. You see, when I take a drink, I can put it down anytime I want and I don't want anymore. And matter of fact, I really frustrate an alcoholic because I just can't seem to drink enough. My husband, I bet, you know, he can tell you stories where he just got so mad he just wanted to get up and, and, and just scream because I would drink maybe this much out of the drink, set it down, say, oh, I don't really want any more. And first off, I'm leaving three-quarters of a drink. Second off, what do you mean you don't want any more? And so I have learned that, you know, I am not an alcoholic. However closely I may identify with you, I do not have the physical allergy. And so, you know, that's something that has helped me to understand who and what I am. I am a person who is affected by the disease of alcoholism. We went to lunch today, and I have to tell you, there was this obnoxious guy who wanted to seat us. And he was obnoxious, is putting it mildly. And as we finally sat down 15 minutes later, he sat us and then he moved us over here and, you know, and then he kept accusing us of different things like, well, are you mad at me? Is that a glare? I mean, this guy did not know who we were. If he knew who we were, <laughs> I, it was rather funny, I have to say. But as we sat down and we were talking about it, you know, I laughed and I said, you, he is a very obnoxious person. But um, <laughs> I, think, I think there is a program for him. I, I mean, I, the personality is, is just there. And uh, so anyway, it was just a, it was a really kind of an interesting experience. The thing that the girls said is, you know, we noticed something. He spent probably 15, 20 minutes just egging us on and kind of, you know, I mean, this is some real provoking going on. And he seated another table in between and he was done with them in 30 seconds. And so we had to ask ourselves, what is it about us that causes this guy to go on and on and on? And, uh, you know, that, that is my disease. You see, I don't do things the way normal people do things. I don't know how to let things go. I don't know how to just uh, not, uh, you know, like a tennis ball. When somebody shoots the ball over, I go back with it. And that's what happens a lot in alcoholism. When I sponsor newcomers, it's like, how do you get out of this? How do you stop? Well, you stop hitting the ball back. And that's what we were doing today as we were having fun hitting the ball back and forth. And, of course, in the end, you always have to complain. You always have to say, well, isn't he obnoxious? And then we started laughing because, <laughs> you know, again, you have to see yourself. And thank you for a program that has allowed me to laugh at myself and have a sense of humor about myself because uh, I'm a very intense person. I have um, often um, accused myself of the one who has to be in control of the fun for the alcoholic. I told my husband this one time. I said, you know, he says, well, we're just having fun. I says, yeah, well, somebody's got to control it. <laughs> and, and he really took that seriously. And so, you know, it's, it's just the relationship that we have in the disease. It can be, can be fun in recovery. And it doesn't have to be um, painful. We don't have to keep hurting each other anymore. Um, my husband and I have a very good relationship today. We have these wonderful children, as I told you about, and I just want to share real quickly um, what has happened with them. We were, um, both of us got very active in the program uh, from the very beginning. And so we have had AA members and al members in and out of our house uh, ongoing. We've had them live with us. You know, we've had all kinds of, I mean, it's just you read the big book of working with others. And that's what our home is like. And I love it. I love being in the middle of Alcoholics Anonymous and Al-Anon. And uh, so we've got this stuff going on and we've got these little kids we're trying to raise. 
neither one of us know much about being a parent because our parents didn't know much about being a parent either. And so we weren't passed on some of those, those tools. My sponsor calls it the blessing. We pass the blessing on to our children. And my parents never got the blessing from their parents and on down the line. And for me, I'm hoping that today that I can pass the blessing on to my children because I have received it. And you see, the where I have received it from is right here. Because I've come to you and I've let you give to me. Now I have something to give to my family. And uh, my daughter was, um, oh, let's see, she was about 14. And she was uh, going to the Al-Anon program. She had a sponsor. She was working the steps. I was real proud of her. I thought things were going good. Her grades started slipping a little bit. And my husband immediately, being the alcoholic that he is, recognized some signs. I, being the Al-Anon that I am, can't see. Not my baby girl, not my daughter. No, 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 no. She's just having a difficult time. She'll come out of it. Well, um, there was a regional service seminar. I think it was about seven years ago in Billings. And uh, we had all gone. I'd gone. I was participating in something, and my husband was participating in AA, and my daughter was participating in Alateen. And isn't it wonderful? We're an AA, Al-Anon, Alateen family. Nothing can happen. This is just, you know, this is the greatest. Life is good. And uh, we came home from that along about midnight. I went to my room. My husband went and turned the TV on, and she went to her room. And uh, pretty quick, there was a knock at the door, and there were some boys, and they were acting kind of goofy. And so my husband thought, well, what's the deal? Because she's 14. She wasn't allowed to date. He was wondering what these boys were doing at the door, so he went up to ask her. Well, he opened the door, went in the room, and there was nobody in the bed but a couple of pillows that were propped up. And so he calls me in, and we look around, because this is a a split-level house. There's no way out but through the front, and he had been there all that time. And so uh, we got to looking around, and at one of the windows, there was one of those fold-down ladders. Well, my daughter... (laughs) Boy, I tell you what, it, it was a very scary experience. I, I just, um, you know, it's really different when you have a spouse that's an alcoholic than it is when you have a child that's an alcoholic. I cannot tell you, I mean, somehow I could shut those feelings off from my husband, but I could never do that with my child. There was just something inside of me that just could not tear loose. And um, it, when they laid that little girl in my arms when she was born, had I known at that time that they were handing me a little alcoholic, <laughs> you know, my heart would have been broken. Thank God he does not let us see the things that are ahead of us, but rather gives us what we need to deal with it when the time comes. And this girl, um, I had no idea. She, I did not know that she was in such despair that she had been contemplating suicide. I did not know that she was going down the same road of the alcoholic. I, at first, you know, a young child, you sometimes think, Certainly it can't be that bad. I mean, they're not that old. How could they really get to a place to where they, their bottom is that low? All I know was is this girl's bottom, she had as much pain as she could handle because she was ready to end it. And uh, she came, uh, well, what we did was is we pulled the ladder up, locked the door, and waited for her to come home. And I, it was different because when she came home, we did not pounce on her. Uh, we tried to talk with her. We could see that she was too drunk to talk to. We sent her upstairs, and, uh, you know, I called my sponsor, and I allowed the group, my home group, to help me through that time. I became a person on the other end. I became the one who needed their help, you know, and that's the beauty of our program. There are times that we're there to be the strength, and there are times that we need to draw the strength. And thank God you keep coming back. Thank God it's not just filled with newcomers who really don't have the strength to share. We need those old timers. We need people who are willing to give of themselves because of what they've been given. And um, you carried me through that time. I went through all the things that any mother would go through because I've listened in Alcoholics Anonymous and I've heard you women and I've heard you talk about the degradation and the humiliation and the, the things that you had to do. And I did not want this for my daughter. And I knew, because of what you had taught me, there was no way that I could stop that from happening. And so I relied upon you. Uh, I relied upon my sponsor's experience. It just so happens that she has a daughter who had gone through the very same things, and she knew how to get through that. And so I allowed her to share with me the things that helped her. And my husband, um, he talked with her, and uh, she said she thought, She could possibly be an alcoholic. 
and he couldn't believe it when it came right down to it. So he said, you know, you need to talk to my sponsor and we'll see what he says to do. So one more time, we couldn't help our daughter, but you helped us. You helped her. Uh, my husband's sponsor talked to um, him and, or her and uh, said, absolutely, get her to an AA meeting as quickly as you can. And uh, I watched the, uh, the women in Alcoholics Anonymous 12-step my daughter. I watched her sit in a chair. And I watched them listen to her the way I could never listen to her. And I watched them pat her and love her and encourage her and reach out and share their experiences with her. And I seen her eyes begin to gather hope. And I couldn't have given that to her. And uh, today, as I said, she's, uh, that was seven years ago. Today, this month, two days ago, I called her on the phone and I wished her a happy seventh birthday in Alcoholics Anonymous. Thank you. That's, that's a gift. That's a gift that you have given me, and I really appreciate that. And, you know... I'll, all I can do for that is to uh, repay you by trying to be there for your children. And so uh, I, I get to do that. I get to keep coming back. Um, I also have a uh, middle son that um, is starting his first year of college. And he uh, has never, t- he's the one that I was telling you about who never spoke, who was kind of like never there. You, you know, you just never knew he was around. And he's been that way all these years. He started dating in his senior year. He's never gone to uh, any of our meetings. I've invited him. He did not want to come. He didn't seem to be having any trouble, so I didn't insist upon it. And uh, in his senior year when he started dating, something began to become apparent, and that is that all of the girls he dated seemed to drink a lot. And he was in tears a lot of the time. And so uh, my husband came to me, and you know how you... You always tell the, the dad he needs to have a father-son talk. Well, he comes to me and says, you need to have a mother-son talk. So I went to my son and I told him, I said, you know, you seem to be having uh, some problems with the girls in your life, and it seems to have a lot to do with alcohol. And I just want you to know, if you ever get to a place where you feel like it's too much for you, that we have a place for you and there is help. And, of course, he just kind of, oh, Mom, it ain't that bad. And so, you know, I just I smiled, but... Um, you know, I, he has to uh, he has to live his own life, and I just uh, I hope that what he has um, seen in our family, when the time comes that he gets to that place that he might need help, that he won't be afraid to reach out. And then I have this little one who's um, gonna he's 13, gonna be 13 the end of this month. Now he, I want you, you alcoholics, I want you to be ready, because this boy is one of you. There has been no doubt from the time he was conceived. I mean, he's got the alcoholic personality. He is the charmer. He is someone who he never means wrong, but somehow he's always kind of in trouble. <laughs> and he's just, he's lovable. You know, he's just one of these kids that is lovable. And at the same time, I wanted to just kill him. And uh, he loves uh, Alateen. He's, uh, this, is, this is the most, um, to me, most touching thing. Um, he decided to go to Alateen, and he went for about six months. And then he just kind of quit going. And I figured, well, he went, he tried it, he should be able to make his own decisions on that because he has given it a chance. And uh, about six months later, he came to me one day and he, he said, you know, he says, my life is just miserable. It was so much better when I was in Alateen, I'm going back. And he celebrated a year birthday um, not too long ago. And so, you know, I've been given some great gifts in this program. When my daughter um, stood at the podium and shared her story one time, she, you know, I used to feel really guilty about being with you so much and having to leave my family as much as I do. And I was feeling bad about that because I just knew that I needed to be there with them. And she shared that when she was at her bottom, the one thing that she remembered was the smiling faces of you people that kept coming in to our home. And you know that when you came into our home, you never stopped um, or never once passed her up, but you always stopped and you let her know that she was important. You greeted her, you said hello to her, you asked her how she was, and that was so important to her. You see, 
the thing in alcoholism is is that we just simply don't feel enough and I didn't know how to give that to my children until you gave it to me and while I was learning that you were giving that to my children at the same time you were giving that to me and so what I can see is, is that God really does take care of us God really does have a plan my only job was just simply to um, I had to get to a point of desperation I had to get to a place where I, the pride and the ego, ego and the uh, defiance and all of that stuff was um, was gone. And the only way that could happen is, is I had to, you know, I just simply had to have as much pain as what I had. Uh, I'm grateful for that pain today, but I don't ever want to go back there. I'm grateful to the people that I sponsor because they keep me here. You see, if those people weren't in my life, I hate to tell you this, but it does get old. Going to meetings every so, you know, I go to meetings four times a week, and um, I don't always want to be there. I get a little bit tired. I get a little bit tired of the phone ringing sometimes. I get a little bit tired of being asked to do something again. You know, we, in our group, we uh, move people. And when you've got a group of about 100 people, somebody's moving every other weekend. And it's like, oh, God, another move? Because what we do is, is we show up and support that move and it's always fun to watch the neighbors they see you know about 60 people pull up and all of a sudden going oh my god who's moving in <laughs> you know it looks pretty scary but uh, you know we're we're very uh, like i said we're uh, a fellowship that are very involved in each other's lives and sometimes it just really gets to the point where i just get tired and i just don't want to do it anymore and i just want to go home and just do what i want to do and then i get to remember when some newcomer calls me up on the phone where i came from and i do not want to go back there you know, and the only way that that's going to happen for me is to keep showing up here and being with you. And when you ask me to do something, my answer is always yes. And I want to thank you so very, very much for asking me to be here this weekend. Um, this is, you know, I believe that I really do receive far more uh, than what I give. Thank you very much for having me.